Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. How's everyone doing today? Last long weekend of the summer, I know, but uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good day. It's already been a good day. Uh, Luange and the team just leading us so powerfully and so expressively in worship today. It's such a, such a treat to see her in the morning now. And so we've just been sort of dreaming about this for a while. So great to see. Uh, hi to all of our friends up in North Durham. Uh, so excited to see you virtually this morning. You can see me, but I can't see you. But uh, I know you're there and uh, a huge hi to you guys as well. Well, I don't know, uh, you know, how much TV you watch. I watch a fair bit, mostly around sports. And so, you know, the commercials that I get are around sort of the, the, the sports events. And so the kind of, you know, sort of the, some of the upper tier commercials. And I noticed this year there was a transition that happened in commercials. You, you, remember, you remember the famous guy who used to be with Verizon, who used to walk around all the time with his cell phone, and he'd be like, can you hear me now? And then you'd see him like going over the top of a mountain, and he'd be like, hey, can you hear me now? And he would be in all of these kinds of places and always saying, you know, can you hear me? now. And, you know, obviously they were trying to say, hey, our signal is so good, you know, that even in the craziest places you can hear it. Well, apparently, you know, the guy's got a bit of a cult following this guy and and people love, you know, just love him. And they think he's just, you know, he's awesome at this. I think I could do that job, but I think he's pretty good. So what happened over the summer? I don't know if anybody picked up on this, but he switched companies. Oh yeah, exactly. A big, huge controversy. Now he's working for Sprint. And so you, you see him there, he's still got his glasses, and they are his regular glasses, like he doesn't wear those just for the, for the commercials, but he's now working for Sprint, and people come along and they say, aren't you that? And he always cuts them off, yeah, yeah, I'm that, I'm that guy, and, and then they talk about, you know, and he's like, oh yeah, the rates are so much better, and I get so much better coverage, and at the end, you're just dying for him to say, like, can you hear me now? But he can't say that, because, you know, he's going to get into trouble, so he, 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 he ends it off kind of weakly, like, I can hope you can hear me, or something like that, you know, and so, you know, I just, I find that kind of, you know, stuff funny. You know, phone, (laughs) nobody else clearly does. I I think it's hilarious, but you should come hang out with me. Um, But the the point is, the point is, people, that we live in a communication age. We we really do live in a communication age. And in fact, the smartphone has, uh, you know, become to the generation of today what the personal computer was to the generation when I was growing up. Like the com- personal computer was going to change our lives. It was gonna, we were going to be able to do amazing things. We were going to make, you know, the screen, you know, do multicolored flashing. It was awesome. It was great, you know, and we could just program into our VIC-20. It would change everything, you know. But now, now the smartphone ha- has changed that. Why? Because the smartphone has really recognized that we live in the communication age. And that you and I, you know, are communicating on so many different levels. And the rate and the pace of communication has exponentially changed. Have you ever been in a situation where communication, you know, becomes very difficult? I've been in a number of situations like that. Especially, I I noticed when I travel that that you get into those situations where communication becomes difficult. Uh, You know, I just speak English and just a tiny little bit of Swahili, but just enough to get me basically by. But but you get into a country where, you know, neither one of those two languages is being offered. And isn't it awesome the way we begin to communicate? Like, we can actually begin to make communication work. It, It goes like this usually for me. What I do is I slow everything down. 
Because the guy who doesn't understand English, if I just speak it slowly enough, miraculously, he'll pick up English somehow. And the other thing is, if you say it louder to him, somehow he'll understand it better if we just get louder and slower. And then if you really want to make sure that this non-English speaking person really, really gets it, use really stupid hand gestures. Because then they'll get it. <laughs> Never fails. Always. And it's amazing when you are, if you ever get to travel and you're at airports in foreign countries, you see people do this stuff all the time. It's hilarious. It's so much fun. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Nepal. <clears throat> A very interesting country. It is, you know, and... Uh, uh, when I was there, um, things were, were not great in Nepal at the time I went. And so as you enter into Nepal, you know, you go through the, the normal sort of checks and, 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 and uh, immigration. But then you get to security in Nepal. <coughs> Excuse me. And the guy in security is standing there. Now, normally they're kind of, you know, at Pearson, they're just standing there. And there's this guy and they just kind of check your stuff and you go through and they scan it. But this was kind of pre-scan and Nepal, you know, didn't have scanners. So the guy had something that was a little bit more effective than a scanner. He had a machine gun. And so here's this guy standing with a machine gun, and he goes like this, right? Because non-English speaking now, non-English speaking. So he calls, I walk up. He goes like this. I know what that means. That's the international sign for throw everything you have of value on the table. So I put all my stuff. I open up my little briefcase or suitcase that I have, and, and I'm going, and he's rifling through it, and I'm just standing there, you know, praying. And uh, the Jen didn't sneak something in, you know, to remind me of her on my travels. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> yeah, some of you who are married get that. <clears throat> and, um, and so he's going through. And then I got to tell you, I got to confess, I'm a little bit of a pen snob. I really like pens. Like, it doesn't have to be expensive pens. But when I get pens that I like, no one can touch them. You're not allowed to touch my pens. And so I had one of my pens in there because I was writing a lot. I was journaling a lot while I was traveling. And this guy picks up the pen, and he goes. And I go. <laughs> and he goes. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> And so he takes the pen, and he starts to tuck it in his top pocket. And I'm like, that's my pen. You can't do that. So I reach over. <laughs> well, when you have your hands on the pen, the machine gun's free, okay? So it's okay. <laughs> it's, you're not in any danger. You have to think these things through. So I take my pen back, and he's like, now the hands are back on the gun again. And I'm thinking, you're not going to shoot me over a pen. And so thankfully, I had some other pens in my suitcase. It wasn't nearly as nice, and I didn't have any emotional attachment to those pens. And so I hand this guy like two or three pens. He smiled. He put them in his pocket. He waved me, and on we go. See, communication is so important. The method... <laughs> The method of our communication and the content of our communication is so important. And that's why all summer long, what we've been doing in summer 16, is we've been looking at the parables, the stories of Jesus, so that we can find ourselves in these stories, so we can understand what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and particularly about our role in the kingdom of God and how you and I live out as men and women in this kingdom that Jesus came to pronounce and, and to bring into existence the kingdom, kingdom of God on earth. And so as we wrap up our Summer 16 series, 
where we've been focusing on these parables, I want to suggest that Jesus communicated in a language that was understandable. And by doing so, he proved himself unique among all of the communicators of his day, all of the voices of his day, all of the teachers, the rabbis of his day. And that you and I, through going through this series in the summer, and by understanding these parables of Jesus, as we find ourselves in the story, we begin to understand more and more the kingdom of God, and we begin to unpack more and more what the kingdom of God looks like, and what our role is, and what our duty is in the kingdom of God, and what the essential core communication message is of the kingdom of God. And we need to have a grip on this. We need to understand this to be people who are actively involved in the kingdom. So today we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible with you, whether it's a paper Bible or whether it's a, uh, an electronic version, a virtual Bible, we're going to spend most of our time in the second half of Matthew chapter 13. During the summer, uh, Pastor Mark uh, from North Durham, and they're probably cheering up there right now when I say Pastor Mark from North Durham, uh, he did the first part of Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils, and so we're not going to touch on that. But in the second half of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus comes along and he talks about what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God looks like. And as we find ourselves in the kingdom, and as we have been finding ourselves in the various parables of Jesus all summer long as we've been understanding who we are in Jesus' teaching. And, and as we have eyes to see and ears to hear, and if you remember back to the very first week we, uh, I preached on this, I said, Jesus often says, but we need eyes to see, but do we really see? And we have ears to hear, but do we really hear? If we've been seeing and if we've been hearing, then there's some things that we need to learn about how Jesus communicated And we need to then put that into practice ourselves. So the first thing I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 13, the last half of it, is that Jesus was very distinct in his communication. Have you ever noticed that the longer someone is a follower of Jesus Christ, the less they begin, the less they talk sort of in the normal everyday language of the street, and the more they get absorbed and you start using the Christian ease language? I don't know if you've noticed that. I have a friend, I don't see him a lot now, but I used to see him a fair bit. And this guy, this guy, I'm convinced, I don't know his whole history, but I know the, the last half of his history. But I'm convinced he went, you know, to, he went to, you know, a Christian, pub, a Christian school, and then Christian high school, and then went into Bible school, and then went straight to sem- seminary, and never, never got out into the real world. Because when you would go up and say hi to him, so let's just say, I'm his, say his name is Mike, I'd go up to him and I'd say, hey, Mike, haven't seen you in a long time, how are you doing? And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating for effect here. Here's how Mike would always greet me. Oh, Greetings, blessings, and salutations to you, Dave, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like it was like reading a King James Bible. That's how this guy spoke. And, and what it was evidence of was, was he was a great guy, and he's, he's a lovely guy, but he had spent his whole life in the bubble, that he'd never really gone outside of the bubble, and, and he began to talk like everyone talks in the bubble. Jesus wasn't like that at all. One of the things that grabbed the attention of G- people was that Jesus was distinct in his communication. Every subculture, you know, develops its own jargon that, it, that is sometimes, you know, gibberish or it's not fully understood by everybody else. You know, I, I went out to some of our younger staff this week, and I said, like, what's some of, you know, if I really wanted to look good on Sunday morning, what's some of the language I could use that nobody over, like, 30 would even understand, but all the under 30s would think Pastor Dave's pretty cool. 
Nobody thinks that, by the way, and I know that, okay? But just, you know, like, just let me live out my little fantasy for a bit. And Brent Baggett told me the new word is lit. Oh, Pastor Dave, that sermon was lit. If something's lit, apparently it's good. I thought you stop, drop, and roll when something's lit. But apparently it means something totally different now. <laughs> but we have to be careful. Jesus was distinct. Jesus spoke in the everyday language of his culture. See, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were always trying to use sort of language that put them above everybody else. They, they, were so, they were so focused on looking good in the eyes of everybody that they would speak a language and they would talk about things that people just generally didn't get, they didn't understand. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus starts using everyday language. And Jesus uses parables. He uses stories. Stories that everybody would get, stories that everybody would resonate with, stories that everybody could understand. And so look at the content of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus focuses on seven parables. Now, don't panic, okay? This is not going to take us that long, okay? So it's okay. Seven parables. I'm going to go through them, and I'm going to go through them really quickly, the seven parables that Jesus talks about, because they're so short. But Jesus talks about these parables, and now he's beginning to explain what the kingdom of God looks like. See, we've been finding ourselves in the story. We've been looking, and we've been saying, look, who am I in the story of the Good Samaritan? Am I so caught up in my religiosity that I won't even, like, you know, like set my theology aside for a moment to help another human being who is desperately in need? Parable of the Good Samaritan. Am I the younger brother or the older brother in the lost son or in the prodigal son? Am I the, am I the one who realizes that I'm lost and that I desperately need to come back to God on a regular basis? And so I return to God and I'm welcome with open arms? Or am I this older brother who's like, hey, I've been keeping the rules all my life. And, and now, now you're just welcoming anybody into the church? What's going on? We've been encouraged to find ourselves, but when we find ourselves in there and we begin to understand who we are in the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like, Jesus now focuses in these last seven parables that we're going to look at this summer, and he said, okay, so you're finding yourself in the story. We've made it pretty clear who you are in the stories. Now, as part of the kingdom, what does the kingdom look like? What's this kingdom that you've signed up to become part of? How do we explain and express this kingdom. See, this is so important, and we don't get it because, again, of the cultural context. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah on a number of different levels. They thought the Messiah would come and he would be a political force. They thought someone was going to come and they were going to be a great orator and a great speaker. And so many people were drawn to Jesus because of that. But they thought that Jesus was going to have this unbelievable political campaign that was going to usher him in as the Messiah of the kingdom. See, then other people came along and they said, oh, no, the Messiah won't be a great political figure. The Messiah will actually be a great military figure. These Romans who will occupy us, these Romans who are lording it over us, these ones who have taken our land and our stuff from us, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to fight them and we're going to win. And people have all of their different expectations of what the Messiah is going to look like and what then the kingdom that the Messiah is going to set up is going to look like. So Jesus needs to bring clarity about the kingdom. Because his kingdom is not a political kingdom. It is not an economic kingdom. It is not a military kingdom or any other kind of kingdom that we're hoping for. It is the kingdom of God 
And Jesus, as the king of that kingdom, is now telling people what his kingdom looks like. And that's what he does primarily in these seven very short parables in the second half of Matthew 13. Each one of these parables starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is explaining them. And so we can group them together. The first one, the wheat and the weeds, also goes with the one about the fishing net, which is number six on the list on the screen, which is in verses 47 and 48. And what Jesus says here is, you know, I'll paraphrase, a a man goes out and he plants, you know, good seed. And then when his servants come back, they say, hey, listen, not only is there good uh, crop growing, but there's weeds growing. And And the master says, well, that's the work of an enemy. And they say, well, should we go out and cut down the weeds? He says, no, 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 no. Don't do that now. Wait till the end. Wait till the harvest time. And then we'll be able to distinguish between the two. We'll gather up all of the weeds and we'll throw those in the fire and we'll gather the harvest. And then the parable about the net is, Uh, is a parable about a dragnet. It's the biggest kind of net that you can get when you fish in a lake. And so you have this huge net that goes all across, spans maybe 100 or 200 meters, and goes about, you know, 10 meters deep. And you just drag it through the water, and it catches all kinds of fish. And then when you pull it up on the shore, you have to sort out the good fish from the bad fish. The good fish you keep, the bad fish you throw away. And what Jesus is talking here about in this particular, in these two parables, is the judgment that comes with the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to say that there is a judgment coming. God is a just God, and justice will happen. It just may not happen now. But at the end of the age, there is coming a time when God himself, who is the good farmer and is the good fisherman... When God himself will determine who are his and who are not his. And the kingdom of heaven lives now on earth with this kind of ambiguity in it. See, on a morning like this, there's no way I can look out amongst the crowd like this and tell who are followers of Jesus and who are not followers of Jesus. You all look lovely. You all look great. You all, most of you are, are actually paying attention. It's really cool. But I can't tell. And so we, not, we need to live that ambiguity. That's why even one of our values here at C4 is that we know we're always dealing with two different audiences. Those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. And so what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that the kingdom of God is okay with that kind of ambiguity. But there is justice and there is judgment coming someday. Then the second and third ones are the mustard seed and the yeast in the flour in verses 31 and 32 and then over into 33. And I'll just read those ones because they're so short. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Still, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And what Jesus is talking about here is, is this surprising entry, this, this surprising appearance of the kingdom of God. It's almost like the kingdom of God you know, started so small with just Jesus you know, coming to earth, but then has sprung into and has grown into as the beauty breaks forth in the midst of brokenness all around the world that we see the spread more and more of the kingdom of God. And this whole idea of the mustard seed and, and the yeast is that you start with something very, very small. And when that something is either placed in the ground or placed in a batch of dough or in the flour, it permeates the whole thing. And it has an impact 
that is far greater than the individual thing that starts with. And, and for you and I, what Jesus, I think, is trying to communicate to us is that as individuals who are part of the kingdom of God, we have influence, and we can have influence far greater than our own influence that we would ever imagine as we use whatever God has given to us for the kingdom and for the furthering of the kingdom. For us as a church, in the grand scheme of things, you know, in a, in, in a planet that has 7 billion people on it, you know, what are we? We're so small and we're so insignificant. And yet Jesus can use this church for his glory, for his honor and his praise as we permeate the community that we're a part of. Well, Jesus has said these ones in... in the hearing distance of the crowd, but now Jesus actually pulls his disciples aside and for, verse, uh, for number four and number five on the list, for the hidden treasure and the pearl, Jesus actually talks to them alone about these ones. And what Jesus is talking about in the hidden treasure is a man is walking through a field and he discovers a treasure and then he goes out and he sells everything he has to buy the field so he'll gain the treasure. Now we go, you know, why didn't somebody else just notice it? Well, we, we have to understand again culturally what's going on. They didn't have banks back in the day. And so people, when they had great wealth, especially if there was a threat on the family or if there was an invading force coming, they would take treasure and they would put it in something and they would bury it in a field that they owned. But the problem would be that if they were all killed, you know, in, in the invasion, then no one else knows that the treasure is there. And so years later, maybe even generations later, someone walks into that field or someone is plowing that field or they're renting that field to grow crops and they discover the treasure. So it's a very unexpected discovery, Jesus says. So the person who discovers this in the field goes out and does, it sells everything so they can buy that field to gain the treasure. The other one is, suppose a merchant goes out, and he's a merchant who searches for valuable pearls, and he finds a pearl that is unbelievable value, goes and sells everything to buy that one. So unlike the person who stumbles across the treasure in the first one, this person, actually, it's their business to look for pearls, and they find a pearl of great price. And what Jesus is trying to communicate here is whether you're a religious person and it's your job to kind of search for things and you're constantly looking, what we would call you maybe even here at C4 is a seeker. You're looking for a relationship with God. Or whether you just stumble across Jesus, you come to a church service or you, you go to a camp one time and you're just going to hang out. You're going because some cute girl invited you and you find Jesus that. doesn't matter. You have found something of incalculable value. That's what Jesus is trying to say. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, when you find it, is invaluable to you. Whether you stumble across it or you search and you find, it's invaluable. And then the last one, number seven on my list, is in verse 52. It's about a household owner. And Jesus says the household owner goes and brings out all of his goods the old and the new. And what Jesus is trying to communicate here to the disciples is this, that the knowledge of the kingdom of God has been passed on to them, and they are now responsible to pass on the knowledge of the kingdom of God to other people from the old and from the new, from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, from the old teachings and from the new teachings, from the old experiences and the new experiences. We are to bring out these items, and we are to use them to help other people find the kingdom of God. What Jesus is frankly saying to his disciples here, this is pre-Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where he gives them the, what we call the Great Commission. 
But what he's saying is, look, do exactly the same thing that I have been doing. And you remember in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 and in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus says this. It says this about Jesus, sorry. It says that he went around all of the towns and all of the villages doing what? Teaching, Old Testament, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Demonstrated power to go along with his teaching. And what Jesus is saying here to the disciples, because he only shares this one with the disciples, is I want you to do the very things that I've been doing. And later on, he gives them this mandate to go and do it. See, the use of what is familiar and understandable is a communication technique that Jesus used. And it's a communication technique that is valuable to us even today. Jesus was intentionally swimming against the current, the popular current. He was irreligious in his approach to communicating with people about the good news of the gospel. And Jesus used parables. We talked about this week one. Jesus used parables not to hide the kingdom from people, but to make it so plain, so obvious, so open that people would would never miss the point of the kingdom. And so you and I need to be very distinct in our communication. We need to be people who share the good news of the kingdom of God, the the kingdom that we are now experiencing with other people. And we need to do it simply so that people really get it. The second thing that I see about Jesus communicating through his parables is that Jesus was dramatic. Jesus really had a flair for drama. And he used it all of the time. See, what Jesus knew is what we know today. People love a great story, right? Like we love a great story because a great story, you know, uh, has this way of drawing us into the story. And in Jesus's culture, there was so much less that was written. It was an oral culture. And so the ability to, to sit down with a person or with a group of people and say, let me tell you a story about, and to just slowly draw people and pull them into the story, right? And they're beginning to imagine it in their, in, in, in their own mind's eye. See, it's like the difference between watching the movie and reading the book. Jen and I had this discussion this week in the car. She said, look, one of my goals this year is to get you to read a book for fun. I don't read for fun. You read to learn. She reads for fun. I say, well, if the, if the book is good enough, they'll just make a movie out of it, and then I'll watch it. And I said to her, like, why do you love reading so much? She said, I'm imagining the characters in my mind. I'm like, well, what if you get it wrong? What if the author didn't mean them like that? And she's like, you're too literal in your reading. So we had this whole discussion. See, the, the beauty about Jesus and his storytelling is Jesus begins to pull people slowly into his stories. And as we said, they are always end with this twist. Jesus brings all this drama to, to bear In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34, it says this, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. Jesus used stories all the time. He never, he never spoke without using stories. Why? Because he was using our human imagination to get us closer to the truth. 
And Jesus was the master at creating drama. Like, if you think about some of the twists that Jesus provided in the parables, and we talked about this week one, we said all of the parables have a twist, an unexpected turn that catches all of the listeners off guard. So the Samaritan is the good guy. The soil is the state of our heart. We are the persistent friend. We are the prodigal or we are the older, the older brother. There's all these twists and there's all this drama that Jesus creates. See, the great thing about stories is they just capture our imagination. And we find ourselves, even today, we find ourselves being drawn in with a really good story. We can, we can like kind of almost say, like, I felt like I was right there. I, I felt like I could see it and feel it and taste it and smell it. Many of you know that I go to Uganda every year. And oftentimes, you know, people from C4 have traveled with Jen and I as we've gone. They've come to be a part of that. And one of the times that uh, I was in Uganda is just a few years ago. In Uganda, one of the things that's absolutely fascinating is they have these cows. And these cows have enormous horns. Like, not like what we see here. They are, like, thick at the bottom, and they go out to this point. And, and these, these cows are just like, oh, my goodness. So I was there, and one of my friends was, like, obsessed with these cows. You know, every time we would pass a cow, he'd be like, oh, look, look, there's a cow. There's one of those cows. And he would always say things like, do you think, it would, like, do you think I could go and touch one of those cows on the horns? You, you can put the photo up, guys. So my friend Peter Burns is sitting right down here. He didn't know I was going to show this photograph. But here's one of the cows. So Peter got to a stage where he was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So we go by this cow, and you can see it's tied to the pole. And off over here, there are two African guys standing like this. They're just standing there. So Peter says, hey, Dave, do you think I could touch it? Well, Peter asked the guys. So Peter says, excuse me, do you think I could touch your cow? And the guys kind of look at each other a little bit, and they go, Yeah. So Peter starts going. We've got him only partway there. He starts going towards this thing. Then it starts getting agitated. And now that's a pretty thin rope. It's like tugging its head and stuff. And we're like, yeah, Peter, you can do it. You, you can do it, Peter. Got a boy. You can do it, Peter. Got a boy. Keep going. So we're backing away, and Peter's getting closer to the cow. And this thing is starting to freak out. And he got about another two or three feet, I think. And the thing is like with his horns. And finally, you know, we, we backed away. And one of the African guys says, but that is not my cow. <laughs> See, communication is so important, right? It's not my cow. See, that's not what he asked. <laughs> and, and so, like, we like a fun story. We like a good story like this. We like the drama of the story. And I could have built it and built it, but for time's sake, I just didn't have the time to build it. But this is the, the, the fact that we've got to think about as we've come through this summer and as we've talked about this. People love stories. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this. The Apostle Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. And what I want to say to you today is that as you think about sharing with your friends, as you think about your own story, you have your story, and your story is so powerful. 
It may not be the most dramatic story in history, and it may not be like this whirlwind where you're just like all over the world. It doesn't matter. Your story is powerful, and it is your story. And we need to use our stories to help other people find the kingdom. Everyday stories of everyday people like you and me to help people find the kingdom. Well, finally, I see that Jesus was very direct. We live in a world full of lies. You know, like just watch the news. I mean, I'm having a heyday now on CNN. I, I just, I'm hooked on CNN right now. All of the stuff that's going on there, lies all the time, over and over again. You, you just don't, frankly, just don't know who to believe or what to believe anymore. But not much has changed since Jesus' day. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were the power mongers who were more concerned about managing their own wealth, their own power, and their own prestige than they were about shepherding the people and actually reaching people and having people actually find the kingdom of God. Jesus, on the other hand, he was straightforward in his approach. He made his message easy to understand, and he gave people the opportunity to put things into practice. See, here's the key difference between Jesus and all of the other people, all of the other religious leaders of his day. Jesus' purpose was not to impress, but Jesus' purpose was to help people find God. And in my story and in your story, we don't have to impress anyone. We, our goal is not when we share our story or when we, you know, we take our invite cards that you know, we've been given. Okay, you know what? I've got to get a, such a story. When I, when I hand this person the card after talking to them about the story, I'm going to walk away and they're going to be like, wow, I've never met anyone like that. That guy just blew my mind. That's not our goal. Our goal is quite simply to be a link in the chain of helping people find the kingdom. That's what our goal is. And we can use our story. We can use the story of what God has done in our lives. We can use the story of what God is doing here in our own church here at C4. We can use that story to just tell people the good news of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 26, Jesus is telling another parable as part of the Sermon on the Mount because he, when he taught, he always used parables. And in Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built his house on sand. See, it's so straightforward, right? It's so easy with Jesus. Like, you don't have to sort of guess at where Jesus is on this. Jesus is saying, look, I've come to usher in the kingdom of God. I've come as the king of the kingdom of God. And I have taught you and I have showed you plainly what the kingdom of God is like. And so you've heard my teaching. You've heard my stories. You've listened to my parables. You've found yourself in the parable. You know what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now it all comes down to this. Put it into practice or walk away from it. It's just straightforward. I love how Jesus is straightforward. You've got to listen. You've got to do something about it. And Jesus is simply telling people the truth. You know, sometimes we struggle with the H factor. The H factor is this. 
There's a difference between what we know and what we do. If this is how much I know, and this is what I do, the H factor is the difference between the two. If this is how much I know, and this is how much I put into practice, the H factor is the difference in between. And the H stands for hypocrisy. There's one thing that just drove Jesus crazy, just drove him nuts all the time, was when people knew what to do and didn't do it. And most of the time when you know what to do and don't do it, it's not because you're, you know, you're, you're innocently just unaware. When you know what to do and you don't do it, that's called hypocrisy. You're not living up to what you know to be true. And it drove Jesus crazy in his teachings. Look through the gospel accounts. Jesus never has time for the hypocrites, for people who know what to do and don't do it. And so I want to invite you to take these simple cards and this week to pray and to say, Lord, who do I want to invite to be part of the kingdom that I have come to know? God, who can I just very simply, not impress, but just go and say to them, look, I've met God or the church that I attend like, God is really doing some really powerful things in my life and in other people's lives. And I just, I would love you to come and experience it. Here's a card, simple card, no pressure. Love to see you there. Just do what we already know. <laughs> we just need to do what we already know. Let's pray together. So, Lord... So grateful and thankful for some of the incredible teaching we've had through this summer from uh, staff here at C4, but also uh, outside guests, and how they've just helped us to round out our understanding of the kingdom and to be able to see the kingdom in ways maybe that we've never seen it before. So, Lord, would you just humbly and simply help us now? Help me, help each one of us as we seek to be you know, great citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us to love people and to invite them and to just care enough about people to see them find you, experience you, and become part of the kingdom themselves. And so we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you thanks for what you are doing and what you're going to do in your powerful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.